You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we're sharing some of our favorite songs about photography and talking with ace photographer Marty Perez. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. But first, we have to pay tribute to David Crosby. That is a little bit of a long time gone from the Crosby, Stills, and Nash self-titled 1969 debut album, one of the uh, biggest selling albums of the 60s. One David Crosby singing harmony vocals on that and wrote that particular song. David, as many of you already know, uh, died January 19th at age 81, a massive figure in uh, popular music, really helped uh, self-create that sort of uh, Laurel Canyon, California scene, first with The Birds and then with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and then Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. What a run. Most people could say that and end their career after those three bands well, if <laughs> over all the course he, of like eight years, if right? If all he had on his CV is that he wrote Eight Miles High for the birds, oh my God. I mean, what a song. Well, not only that, I mean, McGuinn gets uh, a lot of props, Roger McGuinn, yeah. uh, his partner in, in the birds, gets a lot of credit for the, the solo and the jazzy, uh, you know, 12-string guitar uh, drone. But yeah. you look at what... Crosby's doing on rhythm guitar oh, yeah, against what uh, McGuinn is playing. It, it really makes the song in many ways. Well, and Crosby, Greg, you know, I dug deep into his history. I interviewed him. I read his two mm. <laughs> autobiographies. Um, you know, he was the link to uh, both world music uh, for many of the 60s bands and psychedelia, right? Mm-hmm. Indulging prolifically. Um, but he had done time. Did you know this in Les Baxter's Balladeers? Yeah. <laughs> which was part of the Martin Denny uh, Space Age Bachelor Pad Lounge right. music exotica scene. And that is where he first heard the sitar. Mm-hmm. And he brought it into that crowd, which before George Harrison got to it, you know. So elements of that, he was a very Zelig-like character. He was. He, he connected a lot of scenes, you know. He would do things like, uh, you know, teach the Grateful Dead how to sing harmonies before they made Working Man's Dead. Working Man's know? Dead, American Beauty. He's yeah. all over the harmonies he on that. Credits that. Brought Joni Mitchell in, you know, brought her to a higher plane. You know, he, he, meant, you know, he, he basically admits, I screwed up her first album. But, yeah. you know, he kind of got her into that sort of scene in the first place. And she does credit him with, with sort of elevating what she was doing. Many, many people credit Crosby and also say he could be intolerable, in cantankerous, uh, horribly grouchy. Uh, at one point, he was on the outs with all the other members of CSNNY. Um, you know, and he had regrets about that. Uh, but, you know, uh, he could be difficult, but he could also be brilliant. He hated punk rock. He has some notorious <laughs> quotes out there. about Basically, he hated every, anything that he wasn't part of. Yeah, right. It should be mentioned that he had a great... Uh, final few years where he yeah. was just like, you know, he could see the end coming and he goes, I'm just going to get as much work done as I possibly can, sort of recovering from a very difficult middle age period where he was yeah. going through all these addictions. But, you know, I want to focus on the fact that he had this amazing run 
and he was he did tend to piss people off yeah but at the same time he pushed these bands into areas where they didn't necessarily want to go he wrote that beautiful song triad yeah. for the birds and they said no we're not going to touch this song about a menage a trois you yeah, know yeah, yeah. but uh, an airplane did it wound up with CSA. they did they did and i mean these songs uh wooden ships deja vu the title track of the crosby stills nash and young record laughing from his first solo record yeah. these are songs that still to this day hold up because they were very unconventional art pop songs you know he yeah. was he was really kind of pushing out the margins in in terms of genre before some of these bands and and collaborators were ready to do the well, same and consistently railing against the man to use the 60s uh lingo on the other hand i had an interview with crosby where csn was was uh touring and the tickets were in the stratosphere you know a couple of hundred bucks 500 600 yeah. bucks you know and i asked him about that and he just took my head off mm-hmm. i have the right to charge whatever i want and i'm oh, thinking yeah. That doesn't quite jibe with let's get back into the garden. No, he, he, uh, I asked him about the ticket prices, too, and, uh, and he hung up on me. It was, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't pleased about uh, that question. But, uh, you know, I also think the guy was a wild card in the best possible way. You know, uh, everybody knows that Neil Young wrote Ohio. Yeah. Great song, you know, uh, commenting on the Nixon era, the shootings at Kent State. Uh, motivated Devo, as we know, to, to yep. form a band. Uh, but at the same time, Crosby singing How Many More, Why, uh, the, at the end breakdown, of that song, his it emotional is just breakdown shattering. At the end. Yeah. That is yeah. just shattering part of that song. And Crosby brought that element to everything he did. I want to play a little bit of some of Cowboy Movie from his first solo album, If I Could Only Remember My Name. First of all, one of the great album titles of all time. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, one of the great album covers of all time. Yeah. The image on that uh, album of that sun, I guess it's a sunset, and uh, over his face, it's just an incredible yeah. image. But that the whole album is amazing, and it got destroyed when it came out, critically yeah. destroyed. And now people are listening to it. This is an amazing record. It just a mystical kind of journey that he's taking in these songs that I think to this day sounds haunting, mesmerizing, you name it. Uh, here's a little bit of Crosby, uh, cowboy movie on Sound Opinions. That is David Crosby with Cowboy Movie from If I Could Only Remember My Name, his first solo album in, uh, I guess it was 1970, 71. Mm. Uh, Amazing record to this day. I highly recommend people seeking it out. Uh, We wonder if uh, you, our listeners, have any thoughts about David Crosby. Were you a fan or did his uh, prickly personality uh, turn you off? Uh, It did many others. Let us know in our Patreon community or leave us a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org, so we can play it on the show. Now, let's turn to some songs about photography. 
Yes, Greg, you know, we are an audio medium. (laughs) We do not have a visual component, thank God. Uh, But it is fun to talk about rock photography, especially on the occasion of our old pal, uh, Marty Perez, putting together his first book, which spans a lifetime, really, in music photography, and which got us thinking about how often we come across songs about pictures, cameras, photography, the whole shebang. There are tons, right? So we're going to first play a few of our favorites, and then we will chat with Marty Perez, and then play a few more songs. Why don't you lead us off? Thanks, Jim. Uh, I will. Uh, I want to go with Spoon's I Turn My Camera On from their 2005 album, Gimme Fiction. There's different ways of angles of looking at cameras and photography. Uh, We're going to try to do that when we pick these songs. Britt Daniel, I talked to him about this song years ago. Uh, I love the song. He's doing his mm. Prince thing on that song with the falsetto <laughs> yeah. vocals, a little bit of a soul vibe for Spoon, which they don't do often do, but they do it well when they do do yeah. it. Um, this is an example of that. You know, he, he's talking about the camera as an emotional distancing advice, uh, mm. a device. You know, the song is about a relationship and how it can grow apart and how it can uh, difficulty gelling with people. Uh, but with a camera in front of your face, you're obscuring your face. You're sort of engaging in with the world at arm's length. You're documenting it, documenting it, but not necessarily participating in it. So I thought it was a really apt metaphor for, for the way uh, relationships sometimes work. Mm. Here's a little bit of I Turn My Camera On from Spoon on Sound Opinions. I turn my camera on. I cut my fingers on the way. On the way, the way I'm slipping away I turned my feelings on You made me untouchable for life Yeah, yeah And you was a light It hit me like a tongue You hit me like a tongue That is Spoon with I Turn My Camera On. Jim, you've got a photography song for us next. I do. I'm going to start with my strangest, Greg. Uh, Into the Lens, parens, I Am a Camera by Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Why I say it's strange. 1980, you know, post-New Wave, uh, Yes is falling apart. Uh, John Anderson, the vocalist who we've talked to on the show, uh, is gone. Who does Yes uh, bring in to complete the band? Trevor Horn and Mm. Jeff Downs, a.k.a. The Buggles. Right. Video killed the radio star. Jeff Downs, a brilliant multi-instrumentalist who would stay with Yes for some time. Trevor Horn, uh, wow, filling in for John Anderson. How strange. They had this song kicking around. The Buggles would later release it. But the idea of I am a camera, I am recording all that is in front of me, Interestingly, uh, on the Buggles version, it's credited just to uh, Horn, who'd become a super producer, and Downs. Uh, But yes, you know, being yes, all the members of yes take credit because they're all soloing and being yes. Mm -hmm. I saw yes uh, for the first time as a kid uh, at this point. And and it was strange, you know, seeing those two Buggles and then the guys in yes, you know, the 25, 30 year age difference and and very different aesthetics. But... um, You know, the drama album, uh, I think, holds up. And I love this song, Into the Lens, I Am a Camera by Yes. I am a camera.
That's a weird one, huh, Greg? It is, but I ex- I expected nothing less from you, Mr. Dear Goddess. Well, we try to dig deep on these shows. Absolutely. Um, you know, Pink is one of my favorite artists. I, 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 I guess some people may be taken aback by that, but I, I, I think she's aback. a wonderful songwriter. It was the first concert my oldest daughter and I attended uh, together, so it's, I have special. fond memories of that. She was coming up at that time. It was, I think, her first tour. And I've sort of followed her ever since. I think she's she gives a great show, and she writes some very good songs that are uh, try to go several levels deeper than the typical pop song does. Uh, the song "Family Portrait" from her 2001 album "Misunderstood" uh, talks about the idea of what a portrait is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this was written from a child's perspective. I assume that the young Alicia Hart, later known as Pink. Uh, was drawing from her personal experiences with her family. Her parents divorced at an early age, and this is about the trauma that that can uh, can cause for a, for a child uh, and and her brother at the time. Uh, the the uh, word has a double meaning. I mean, the portrait that you know that's the 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 family picture on the nightstand. Yeah. But it's also in this case a portrait of in words of what her family's life was like back then, and it's not. It's not a pretty picture, to put it to put it mildly. Family portrait from Pink on Sound Opinion. In a family portrait, we look pretty happy. Let's play pretend, act like it comes naturally. I don't want to have to split the holidays. I don't want to address this. I don't want a stepbrother anyways. And I don't want my mom to have to change her life. That is Pink, Alicia Hart, talking about her childhood trauma in Family Portrait. You're right, Greg, a really solid songwriter and an inspiring person. Um, from that obscure yes ditty that I started out with, I'm going to go to a real obvious one. Photograph by Ringo Starr. Mm. You know, I love Ringo. I, I love this do. song. I love this song. You know, I just recently was raving about the new box set of the Revolver album and, you know, Ringo's performance on Rain and so many of those great drum tracks. But, you know, this is uh, a very emotional song about lost love with the singer having only a single picture to remember this 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 love that left his life. Um you know, that contrasts so wildly with the story of how it was written. Ringo and George started, George Harrison, started writing it together on a luxury yacht in the south of France in May 71. Mm. Ringo had hired the yacht. He was starting his acting career. He was going to the Cannes Film Festival. Then they were hopping over to Mick Jagger's latest wedding in Saint-Tropez <laughs> and wrapping it all up with the Monaco Grand Prix. You know. Ringo yeah. was living large. Yes, sir, man. <laughs> okay. And, you know, to be able still to connect with the forlorn adolescent loss of this song, right. you know, it, it, so effectively. It, it is, you know, I have always wondered whether Ringo, uh, whether the, the, the hangdog kind of act was thrust upon Ringo. You know, George the mystic, mm. Paul the cute one, John the intellectual and the wise ass. You know, and Ringo, you know, he, he only got by with a little help from his friends, right? <laughs> now, was this the band foisting that on poor Mr. Starkey? Or was 
you know, or was that actually him? Uh, you know, my interview with him that I did one, uh, you know, you, you can't really tell, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, fact and fiction, who he really is versus, you know, chronically underrated. It was a great chat I'd had because I understood his drumming, you know, and we could talk about the, the rim shots and right, the, right. The, the fills and, you know, but I don't know. But anyway, this is the archetypal in many ways Ringo song right after I get by with a little help from my friends. Photograph. Gotta love that, Greg. That is a great song. Photographed by Ringo Starr and George Harrison. And man, you know, Ringo, so much love from the musical community. You know who's playing on that song? Nicky Hopkins, Bobby Keys, yeah. the great drummer Jim Keltner, mm-hmm. and uh, Phil Spector's musical <laughs> arranger Jack Nietzsche. Yeah. You know, it's like, holy cow! And Harrison, you Every, know. Everybody wanted to be in a room with a Beatle, right? You know, Ringo calls, you yeah. say, sure, what time? I'll exactly. be there. Those are a few of our favorite songs about photography. We're going to have more later in the show. But we would love to know your favorites about this subject. Please share it with us in a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org. Coming up, we're going to talk with photographer Marty Perez about the craft of rock photography. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. This is a photograph. A window to the past. Of your father. And we are back. You know, Greg, uh, there are certain topics that are not usually great for the audio medium, as I said earlier. Painting, sculpture, and still photography don't always lend themselves to uh, hearing us talk about them rather than looking at them, right? Dancing about architecture Mm. is uh, the cliche about our entire profession, but... Today, we're going to make an exception to all that because our longtime friend and colleague, Marty Perez, has just released his first book of music photography, spanning an entire lifetime, spanning 40 years of the history of this music. Kill a punk for rock and roll. Mm. One of Marty's most famous uh, photographs is a kid wearing that shirt. Uh, And, uh, you know, looking at Marty Mm -hmm. (laughs) as Marty takes his picture. We've both worked with him throughout our newspaper careers. He's taken some sound opinions pictures. Um, And, you know, one good, uh, there are many good reasons to go to a show with Marty because he's great company. He's a brilliant photographer. But also, Marty is no small individual. So many a rough, mosh pit, and dangerous show, I was taking shelter behind Mr. Marty Perez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he was a big-bodied dude, and he is still to this day, which is a great thing, because people would bounce off him in the, in the mosh pit. You know? yeah. It was like, you know, you can't move this guy. I'm, I'm working. Well, and he's a and gentle giant. Yeah. You know, when, when, when someone would, would, some meeker person would stumble in and get knocked over, Marty would pick them up physically and move them to safety. No, he was, you know, he was a fan, and uh, first and foremost, and uh, he, he took it from a perspective of somebody who understood what, he was, what pictures he was taking. It was, yeah. it was like he appreciated everything about it. I, 
There's one picture in the book which really stands out for me because I was at that show. It was a show at a lounge axe, a club here in Chicago, and it was one of Liz Fair's first bigger shows where yeah. people are starting to recognize. Big, 150 she's a, people she's cramming into lounge yeah. axe, yeah. And and there was like a little walkway. Remember, Jim, down to the down to the downstairs? Yeah. You know, and there was like a little place, you know, sl- uh, walkway to the side of the stage. Yeah. So Marty smartly instead of positioning himself in front of the stage like almost every rock photographer would do so goes down this whole little hall you know this little yeah. walkway and he's sort of behind the stage so he can see the audience reacting to liz and there's this great moment where liz turns she's literally amazed by the response the songs are getting like right. she's made it like well appreciating it. and scared to death yeah liz it's was the always look in her eyes a trepidatious performer it was you know a, it was an incredible moment and you know he just because he was not in the traditional spot where most people are he yeah. got the shot well uh it is a joy to welcome marty to sound opinions marty Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. You know, we, we uh, want to talk about the book and your career, because it's a great story, and you are a self-effacing fellow who doesn't even like to tell the story. What drew you to photography as a junior in high school? On the south side of Chicago, right? Yeah. I, uh, you know, would see uh, my dad taking around his camera on family outings or trips, and then uh, back in those days, every four months, you know, the family would sit down after a Sunday dinner and be forced to watch slideshows. <laughs> Slideshow. <laughs> yeah. You know, with that, it's like I I was intrigued and said, let me take a look through the viewfinder, would start snapping. Uh, next thing I know, uh, I was given an Instamatic. When I went to uh, my first concert, it was like, bring the camera with you and see what happens. And from there, it just was a constant uh, companion. Yeah, yeah. Who were some of your heroes? Were you looking up to, uh, because I'll say this, because you never do. Uh, The book is called Kill a Punk for Rock and Roll. And that photo of this uh, incredibly grungy uh, (laughs) band of of bros giving devil's horns and holding up a t-shirt, Kill a Punk for Rock and Roll. Uh, I'd say, you know, Marty, that's a shot as famous in our alternative underground indie world as, like, you name... The greatest, uh, Bob Gruen's shot of uh, John Lennon with the New York City t-shirt or some of the Zeppelin shots uh, that Neil Preston took. Were you admiring those guys, giants in oh, the definitely. world of rock Oh, without photos? a doubt. And then, and then, you know, Miss Annie Labowitz. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one book that came out, one of the earliest books called The Art of Rock Photography, which was one of the first books that compiled a lot of the other photographers in addition to uh, Bob Groin and a lot of the other photographers that had been starting the rock photography back in the days of like, let's say, Bill Haley and all that. Mm. But, uh, Earlier. When things yeah. really didn't start grabbing people's attention until, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis and on for, for, for photography. Mm-hmm. And then you had the whole new audience of young people in press where Rolling Stone filled that began to fill that void. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating, too, because these these photographers were in an era when there was a lot of mystery around what do these bands look like. It was pre-internet, obviously, pre-MTV. A band would would show up, and you'd be shocked at what they looked like because you had (laughs) an image in your mind of what they would be like, and then you saw them in the flesh, and you go, that's not at all what I expected. Uh, So the photography was critical to sort of spreading the word and, and, you know, uh, communicating 
what the music was like. I mean, certain images are so in, indelibly entwined with the way the music was presented, you know, that you can't separate the two. Do you think you have shots that rank like that, Marty? Because I do. Uh, well, you, you already said it. I, I, the cover shot has been following me or has been with me since 1981 kill a punk for rock and roll that was just one of those <laughs> magic moments even at the moment when those kids kind of like poked me and said hey take our picture and stuff like this i walked away there thinking wow they're you know af- after developing the role of film and seeing that one image it always stuck with me what concert was that at marty uh that was uh black sabbath i believe black and blue <laughs> it was when ronnie, Jan- it was ronnie, when ronnie james, james dio yeah D- a good album yeah 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 uh, and, and they were like, you know, the heck with this punk rock crap. Let's listen to real rock and roll, like Sabbath. Yep. Oh, that's, oh, yeah. That's classic. Remember, right around that time, you know, shortly after the first wave of punk, everything was marketed as punk rock. You had yeah. ACDC, Tom Petty, and all that. And that was right around that time. Took a little while, but somewhere along the line, I've heard that it was uh, Motorhead that reunited the two camps and that argument can be made yeah yeah made them see the light that we're all in this together Mm -hmm. you are always front and center at the stage surrounded by given the music that you love moshers slam dancers you know you're getting spit at hit on knocked over beer spilled everywhere you know and then front and center there is marty he's an nfl linebacker in the middle of that so he can handle it (laughs) but i've seen even marty tossed around at some shows sure no no, at the, there was a fireside show where, what was it, Los Crudos. I was literally picked up and moved eight feet to the side of the stage. <laughs> <laughs> fireside Bowl, a uh, famous punk rock venue yeah. uh, down on its luck uh, bowling alley that was turned into a well, venue. Well, part of the ethos, too, of that whole scene, uh, and by scene, I guess, I guess, I mean, underground music, punk, was the fans are just as important as the bands. And the band, yes. you could have easily switched places with the two. The, the fans were the band, and the band could, be, could have been the fans. And um, you documented that, too. It wasn't just about people on stage, right? That's what I love about this book. There's as many pictures of the fans as there are the musicians. When you're in the middle of them and the band kind of begins to get older or goes into a slow number, it behooves the photographer to take a look around and see who's with you in there. Mm. And that was part and parcel of growing up in photography and appreciating and learning documentary and uh, Mm -hmm. documenting your fellow man. Yeah, which is really cool because I think that was the whole idea of the community. Um, You didn't see that too often, you know, as, as photography became... If you went to a show and you came back with a bunch of photos of the of the audience, your editor, you know, on a big time publication would say, "What is this? Why are you giving me these? I, I need a shot right. of Robert Plant, not of the person in the front row screaming to Robert Plant, right? You know." But and then also, I think as early as the late '80s, took hold in the '90s, and it's been going ever since. Whenever you go to shoot a band nowadays, it's three songs and you're out. Yeah. If you're there shooting on assignment, you don't have the uh, time to uh, breathe and, and take a look around you. You're there for that. You're there to get the shot of, you know, the band. And back in the analog days of film, you only had 36 exposures and maybe maybe be lucky to shoot off another roll. But, uh, yeah, you're, the, the film you had and time constraint and rules of regulations really worked against it. Well, and now this insidious policy of some bands, even ones that 
you know, you would think should know better, like a U2, demanding the photographers have their work approved by the band before it's published. Mm. And, and we're talking oh, I, overnight I, I, I reviews in newspapers. I didn't realize that. Oh, no. Yeah, Ouch. yeah, no, no. Like, uh, you know, and it's, it's a policy, Greg, I know the Tribune didn't abide we never, by. We never signed any. I mean, there were contracts th- put in front of our photographers all the time. And we yeah. never signed them. We said, okay, we're just not going to shoot your show then. Yeah, That's which is why policy. you began to see a lot less uh, overnight photos of, mm-hmm. of important events. Right. That is ridiculous and insulting to the photographer slash the media and just who's a fan of rock and roll. Yeah. yeah. And I, but I think the way photographers are treated like a nuisance, I, I noticed that, you know, I, I obviously worked with a lot of photographers at the, at the Chicago Tribune. And I work with you, Marty. You, you put, you know, yeah. a lot of your photos for... Uh, my Wilco, your, for the Wilco book that I did uh, are yours, yep. um, which I appreciate to this day. Um, but the point being that, um, you know, it, it pained me to see photographers treated the way they were uh, more and more by management, by bands, by venues, because they were viewed as sort of a nuisance, get out of our way um, when they were just doing their job. Um, it, it no longer became part and parcel of documenting the event. It was more like, when do, when do we get rid of these people? You know, um, did you, why, why do you think that attitude shifted? Did you notice that shift or was it just sort of a gradual thing? Or I think, I think, I think that attitude's always been there to survive. You kind of like have to be either dumb, a masochist or, and have thick skin or a combination of all the above. The photographer, uh, Jim Marshall, Mm. he always complained about the lack of respect and, the lack of payment and just the uh, the rock photographers always been looked upon as the the black sheep of the whole thing, except when they you know when somebody needs a <laughs> an album cover or right. used to need a, a promotional photo. Uh, nowadays, that type of stuff is dead. Everybody's got their smartphone, so promo photos are done with smartphone or something. It seems like. The ability to just uh, control, click, and save a photo and then put it on your blog, put it in your publication, you know, it seems like photographers' rights have been absolutely trampled. I remember talking to Bob Gruitt about that. I was buying pictures for my Lester Bangs book. And, you know, he, he was just sick to his stomach that so many of his famous shots had been appropriated for free. Mm. At that moment, U2 was doing a world tour, playing to uh, 40,000 people a night, and they were sh- flashing his John Lennon, uh, you know, uh, I Love New York City, and he, he didn't even know that, <laughs> much less had yeah. he been paid for it. Yeah. They didn't even have the courtesy to ask him. Yeah. No. Have you seen yeah. your photos pop up in places where you're like... Yeah, that's happened. That's happened. Or, you know, the other thing is, is, you know, somebody decides to, you know, they they like the photo. Next thing you do is you see it on a, on a subway po- poster <laughs> from Europe or something. And by then it's, uh, you know, it's three months down the line and the, that particular project has been done so that there is no budget and you're, you're too late. Sorry. See you later. But uh, take a copy of the record. <laughs> thanks a so, lot yeah thank you a lot. that's yeah no and, and and unfortunately you know that appropriation is just uh comes part and parcel with the uh with photography not yeah. not only rock photography but any type of photography mm-hmm. has has the fact that people everybody has a cell phone now and is videotaping and and photographing the shows that you're at has that diminished the value of your work uh I, I guess that's a fair way to put it. I never thought I'd I'd live long enough to see 
what I love doing become irrelevant or become shoved to the side and taken for granted. What's that uh, video killed the radio star while the smartphone killed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I, I promised a philosophical question, Marty. It's what I wrote about in my introduction. It seems to me that many rock photographers see their job as portraying uh, the people on stage as golden gods, you know, to use the famous uh, mm. uh, Robert Plant, you know, uh, bigger than life, uh, beautiful, perfection incarnate, right? Um, whereas you down in the pit, sweating along with the fans, um, I'm not saying you don't make the bands look good. I'm saying that you capture a reality in the moment that I have always found missing in too much rock photography. Did you agree with what I wrote? You know, I mean, you, you capture people and soul and not, you know, stars. No, I appreciate that. And that's, uh, that was part of uh, growing up and, and admiring and, and, and hearing what people like Patti Smith or Joe Strummer and the guys from The Clash would say in interviews. And, you know, it was this new group of people were, weren't too different to myself and if i had two cents and can contribute i'm running with it mm. you know for for a lot of photographers that those were the shots that a lot of these magazines and the public wanted to see was the the golden god and that's another reason why you had that three song limit supposedly you know the performers didn't like to see themselves sweat or yeah. see the pit stains on their shirts and stuff like that which kind of like bothered me because you're up there for an hour and a half three hours you're sweating just like the rest of us it would have been like kicking a writer out after three sh three songs you got to review the show and because they can choreograph those three songs and make sure that they look their absolute oh. best and the, the staging lighting is perfect and oh, one example of that 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 was just mind-boggling was uh being assigned to go see a prince show the first three songs was backlit or total dark. Mm -hmm. Once the photographers <laughs> no. were ushered out of the pit, the place lit up like a Christmas tree. Uh -huh. And Prince was, you know, Prince was notorious for yeah. having a disdain for his photographers. But it's like, you know, you, you kind of like need us to get your image out and to keep your train rolling down the line. Yeah, he, you know, the one thing I think Prince, Prince was big on the mystery. That's why I didn't do interviews either for a long time, right? Right. So he wanted right. to preserve that sense of, you know, who is this guy? You know, what does he look like? He was, you know, and it, 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 it was a double-edged sword because obviously, uh, you know, it, it, it caused some friction with, with everybody. who was trying to cover him in a way that, you know, could help explain Prince to people. But uh, I'm curious, though, Marty, I want to hear the three artists that you most enjoyed photographing mm. and why. Mm. Oh, without a doubt, early Patti Smith, The Clash. And uh, I've got to say, Surfport, this, this punk band out of New York, they've just got a wacky energy and such a positive vibe to them. Most of their shows are mayhem, but it's kind of like a roller coaster ride. But Patti Smith and The Clash were just, you know, they came out and they pummeled you and looked good doing it. <laughs> Even they were, you know, Patti Smith and, and uh, Patti Smith group just had... Uh, an aura and presence that uh, the three times I saw him never lacked for and w was always on spot on and dynamic. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The majority of this brilliant and beautifully produced book, and we have to talk briefly about Hozak before we let you go, um, the publishers, um, is about community. You know, whether it was these boneheads who hated punk rock on the cover or the many punk rock uh, crowds that are portrayed throughout the book, um, these are people who cared about the music and cared about each other. And I don't, I don't think I've ever seen, Greg, an art book about rock and roll that captures that as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. You kind of summed up and observed what hopefully Hozak and I kind of like try to do. Well, you, you write this in the book, and I think you told me about it when you first called me, when Todd uh, Novak and Brett Cross, Hozak, in other words, who came from the fanzine world, came to you and said, Marty Perez, we want to do a book with you. You were like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And they kept on nagging me and, and, and prodding me to the point where there was a... What was it about a year and a half year ago mm-hmm. everything kind of uh was at the right place right time and i had the focus and was able to sit down for three quarters of a year and scan and put everything together and give them to give them to hozak and you know design todd todd who's the designer did you know rather than doing one photo per page he really packed it in there and everything has a rhyme and reason yeah, it tells a story. It really does. It tells a story of uh, four decades. Kill a Punk for Rock and Roll, 1976 to 2019. Photos by Marty Perez. Thanks for being in the trenches with us over the decades. Oh, man. Really appreciate it. And we this have is the great bruises to show to it. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Marty. That's it for our conversation with Marty Perez. His book, Kill a Punk for Rock and Roll, is truly a work of art. As much love uh, devoted to the shots of artists you have never heard of as Jimmy Page. (laughs) You know, you gotta love it. Let us know what you think, though. Uh, Coming up, more of our favorite songs about photography in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we're back. We've got more songs about photography to share. I'm up next. Jim, I want to go to the kinks. When in doubt, always go to a Ray Davis song. You're going to get something of substance about any, almost any subject on the planet. It's true. The ace sociologist of rock. So the album, The Kinks Are the Village Green Preservation Society, has not just one, but two songs devoted to photography. Picture Book is a song I want to play, but there's also a song called People Take Pictures of Each Other. Mm. And I think one of the reasons was that the conceit of the album was I'm looking back at what England used to be and still wants to be, but no longer is. It's yeah. almost like a, mem- a fading memory, like a photo in a photo album. The sunset on that empire. Exactly. And Picture Book is a deceptively jaunty song. You got Ray playing a 12-string guitar on it, very cheerful arrangement, kind of bouncy, but it's wistful. You know, you listen to the lyrics, and it's an old man looking at a photo album, thinking back to his childhood. When you were just a baby, these days when you were happy, a long time ago. So go the lyrics. And it's a personal perspective about this broader theme that I was talking about. You remember what you were to take your mind off what you are now, what Mm. you have become. And that is exactly where he, a position he finds England in at the same time. So here's a picture book from the Kinks on Sound Opinion.
That's Picture Book from their classic 1968 album, A Masterpiece. The Kinks are the Village Green Preservation Society. What an album. Greg, I'm going to go next to Duran Duran. Whenever we talk about Duran Duran on the show, we get all this love on social media. There are three generations of super fans, most of them women. We've had two of our much-loved and respected uh, peers, Annie Zaliski and Lori Majewski, at times on the show talking about this band, which always was a little weird, I thought, because despite the great singles, they had this sort of softcore cheesecake thing happening in their videos. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm going to play their breakthrough single, Girls on Film. It's actually the third single they'd released. It was 1981. It's the one that first made it to the top of the charts in the UK and the US. And there was big controversy. It, it seems almost quaint now, looking back in retrospect, two versions of the video, the daytime version, PG-13, and the nighttime version, which uh, the BBC insisted got a R-13 rating. Hmm. Uh, restricted, 18 and above. You know, semi-nude women. uh, (laughs) There were often uh, barely dressed women in all the Duran Duran videos. It's very resonant of a time when, uh, you know, MTV. Well, kids were so happy if mom and dad got cable and Cinemax Mm. at night would show these, you know, soft core, just gratuitous, like hours of women, you know, sitting around in not much clothing. Anyway, Duran Duran uh, is beloved by a generation despite all that. This, of course, is a signature song girls on film they're celebrating exactly what the title promises models being photographed and uh, you know all supermodel pretty themselves uh, them getting to bask in that aura gotta love duran duran if you're of a certain age i suppose the hooks are timeless despite elements being dated girls on film Girls on Film by Duran Duran. Where are you going next, Greg? Jim, I'm going to L.A. in the early 90s. Ice Cube, Who Got the Camera, the name Mm. of the song. Question from the Predator LP in uh, 1992. The song was recorded uh, during the trial of the four police officers who assaulted Rodney King in 1991. And a local witness, a a man by the name of George Holliday, happened to videotape the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think the trial would have happened. I don't think there would have been any repercussions if George Holliday had not been on the scene videotaping what the police did uh, on the street. The whole incident triggered the 1992 Los Angeles riots. 53 people killed, 2,000 injured. Military had to be called in. Ice Cube, longtime chronicler of police harassment, going back to his days with NWA and the Straight Outta Compton record, continued that on his solo records. He didn't shrink on throwing some punches when it came to uh, addressing this topic. In the song... Who got the camera? He's being roughed up by the police during a traffic stop, and he's basically hoping someone can be his George Holiday and videotape what is going on while the po- while the police are attacking him. So here's Ice Cube with his take: Who got the camera on Sunday? Started the investigation. No driver's license, no registration. When I stepped up the car, they slammed me. God damn ya! Who got the camera? Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. Just give me just one more hit. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, 
streets, no camera, no action. And the pigs wouldn't believe that my slave name is Jackson. He said, don't lie to me. I'm looking for John, Maddie, or Spike Lee. That is Ice Cube with Who Got the Camera. Greg, I'm going to stay on the hip-hop tip, and I'm going to cheat a little bit, okay? Uh, I'm going to play Hey Ya by Outkast, right? What a fantastic single. <laughs> who, who can't love the spirit of that song and the Hey Ya dance, uh, written by Andre 3000. People forget the actual title after the Hey Ya exclamation point. Mm. There's a parens, shake it like a Polaroid picture. Right. And that line only comes up once, you know, exuberantly, like the whole song, shake it like a Polaroid picture. So the reason I'm cheating, not a song about photography, really, a song about fidelity. You know, does she really want to mess around? Can't stand to see me walk out the door? You know, Mm -hmm. uh, a guy who's going back and forth on, am I going to leave her because she's cheating on me or am I going to try to salvage this relationship? You know, during the breakdown, they shout, uh, shake it like a Polaroid picture. The reason I love this song, besides it being one of the greatest songs ever, is the Polaroid Corporation (laughs) launched a campaign uh, putting out information saying, please do not shake your Polaroid (laughs) film. Because in the earliest days of the instant camera, Right, you had to shake it to expedite drawing. Right. But but they had improved so much, you know, by 2000 uh, or so, this was a 2003 single, th- that you no longer had to do that. And in fact, it could damage the photograph, <laughs> yeah. you know. And uh, my daughter was really young at the time. I loved taking Polaroid pictures. You know, uh-huh. I, mean, I, I just think that, you know, they were so much more fun than oh, yeah, digital absolutely. photography. Yeah, they, you know? they're still, and, and they're still, new, like a new generation is doing it yes. to this day like because they tapes. like it. It's yeah. just cool. It was cool. But kids, do not shake your Polaroid picture. Shake your whatever else you want to shake, because how can you not shake when you're listening to Outcast, (laughs) but not the picture. go obvious for this pick to you know and do uh, pictures of lily by by the who but problematic uh, aspects talking about that one a good song good song 20 one of the greatest songs hey of the 21st century hey Eddie, you just have to say those two words and people yeah. are right on it they're uh, doing everybody. the dance and everything everybody you know? i want to go to mission of burma yeah, uh, I was. This, I, this is not a photograph, Jim. I was upset when I saw you got your list in first, and I'm like, yeah, of course, one of the greatest songs about photography, well, one of the greatest uh, songs, period, ever. It gives it gives me uh, me an opportunity to talk about surrealism. Uh, you know, Roger Miller, in particular, from that band, was oh, a yeah. student of surrealist artists, and you know, he's essentially riffing on Magritte, the French surrealist painter René Magritte. This is not a pipe. Who's painting the, tre- you know, yes, exactly. He talks about the treachery of images in this uh, photograph, you know, with a little inscription on the bottom, this is not a pipe. It's a yeah. picture of a pipe, but right. this is not a pipe. <laughs> so it's sort of a meta commentary, right? Yes. And in the same way that this song is a meta commentary on, on photography. Oblique references to bigotry and breaking the barrier between image and reality. Very, very sparse lyrically. Yeah. In a typical Mission of Burma, Roger Miller fashion, not spelling it out for you, making you go, hmm, okay, what's going on what here is he, exactly? Yeah. What is he doing? But it's a very cool song. And uh, in, in typical fashion, the Burma guys dealing with these topics, 
you know, the surrealism things was real because on this EP, they only got like six songs, that first EP, uh, Signals, Calls, and Marches. And you have this song about a surrealist painter. And then you also have a song named Max Ernst yes. about another surrealist painter yes. from Germany, right? Anyway, here we have This Is Not a Photograph from Mission of Burma on Sound Opinions. This is not a photograph. This Jim. is not a photograph. As we talk about photographs. Oh, my God. All right, last one from me. I'm going to go with The Cure. I am not the biggest Cure fan in the world, and so that's going to offset all the love mail we got for Duran Duran. All the Cure fans are going to write. <laughs> you know, but but they could craft great singles. And, of course, Pictures of You is one of them. Fourth and final single from their eighth studio album, Disintegration, 1989. You know, Robert Smith was always just a bit much for me, okay? But there's a great story behind uh, this song. His house burned down, mm. and he was going through what was left in the ashes and came across his wallet that had pictures of his wife, Mary. They were devoted to each other. The cover of the single was one of those pictures, and it also showed up on the cover, I will say, of uh, Charlotte sometime, and um, got him thinking about what photographs mean, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, it's, it struck me in my days as a beat reporter covering innumerable fires, you know, how often uh, in natural disasters and fires, people were, were most upset about the photographs. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. This, this is your history mm-hmm. being erased. There are things that are replaceable. And then, you know, but those baby pictures, the wedding pictures, those are not. Pictures of you by the cure. Pictures of You by The Cure wraps up our show on photography and music, and now we want to hear from you. What is your favorite song about photography? What's your favorite music photograph? Leave a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org. Mr. Cott, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week we're going to have a fascinating conversation with the co-founder of Cranky Records, which was a Chicago-based label whose aesthetic influenced indie rock around the world. No exaggeration in the in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, and you know, is also a story about that era and how difficult but rewarding it was to run an indie label. And don't forget to check out our bonus podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to Sound Opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, and our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo. Our Columbia College intern is Lauren Holt, and our social media consultant is Katie Cott. 